Are we good? Okay. Welcome again. We're going to be continuing our study through the book of Proverbs. We're looking at Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. It's in your Bibles and your pews are in the seats in front of you on page 495. You can look at that, but we're going to start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. As we open your word, we pray that we would be attentive to it, that you speak to us, that you show us who you are, that we can trust you because you love us and you've sent your Son for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to talk a little bit about trust this morning. What you put your trust in, or who do you put your trust in? You know, do you put your trust in the news? Maybe when Walter Cronkite was the news reporter, maybe you did, but can you put your trust in the news today? Can you put your trust in the government? <laughs> no, that's an opinion, and it may be correct. Can you put your trust in your investments, in your bank account? How about can you put your trust in your job? You may have today and maybe not tomorrow. How about can you put your trust in the schools who are teaching our kids and what they're teaching our kids? Can you put your trust in your physical abilities that may be here today and gone tomorrow? How about your health? Again, you may be healthy today, but will you have in the future? And then when you're sick, can you put your trust in your doctors and in the medicines they give you? From experience, not always. How about can you put your trust in your intellect? How smart you are. And, and the answer to those things is all those things are not really trustworthy. We're going to open by reading our scriptures in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen, it'll be also in the Bible. My son, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will, he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bone. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. I can't be like our pastor who can give these without a full worksheet. So I've got 11 pages of stuff here. Well, who can you really trust? Do you trust God? Do we trust God? Do I trust God? Hopefully, we'll be allowed to answer those questions after we go through what we're talking about today. I have two recommendations. One is this book by Trusting God by Collegiate Ministry for many, many years. He died a few years ago, and that is well worth reading. The other recommendation is we have a pastor's book club that meets on every other Wednesday night. We just met this past Wednesday, and it's regarding All Things for Good by Thomas Watson. We had a good turnout on Wednesday night, and it's going to be an exciting study as we go through that book. So I recommend those two books for people who are interested in this topic, and you should be. Well, 
we talk about the idea, can we trust God, we come to two questions. And I was thinking about this, is why, or how do I trust God? Why do I do that? What do I need to believe, to know, to be able to trust God? And the answer is, number one, I need to know that God is sovereign. That God is in control of everything. And then I need to know that He loves me. If I know those two things, then I can trust God. If I don't know those things, then I can't trust Him. If God is sovereign, but He doesn't love me, I'm doomed. If God loves me, but He's not sovereign, then I can feel good that somebody loves me, but it's not going to make any difference if He's not in control. We need to know both, that He is sovereign and that He loves us. If we know those things, then we know that God can be trusted. Go around the room and think to yourself, I'm not going to look for a show of hands, do you believe that God is sovereign? Now, it's easy to believe that God is sovereign when things are going good. Got a good job, got good income, health is good, God's in control and everything is good. But how about when things are not good? When you get bad circumstances take place, an illness comes along, or you get that diagnosis of cancer, or you lose a loved one. Is God still in control? How about over natural disasters when you have a tsunami come in and wipe out tens of thousands of individuals? Is God in control? Is he control when we sin? You know, this idea of God's sovereignty, we put a, a, a theologic name for that. We call it the provinces of God. Now we know province is a city in Rhode Island, but the provinces of God mean something different. This is a quote from Jerry Bridges' book regarding the province of God. God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own. R.C. Sproul put it like this, there's not a maverick molecule in all the universe. Nothing is out of God's control. Jerry Bridges also says, if there is a single event in all the universe that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot trust him. There is no chance Chance is nothing, is not a thing. There's no, it just happened. There's no coincidence. Some people, some Christian authors, who have some good things to say, however, they say that God limits His sovereign control and when it comes to man, to allow man to have free will. And we know that the Bible doesn't say that. There's absolutely nothing outside of God's control, including the thoughts and the actions of man, even our sin. Now, we talk about God's will in two ways. We're going to simplify this. We could spend forever talking about God's will in different aspects. We're going to talk about God's revealed will. What's God's revealed will? It's what He says in Scripture. He tells us how to live, how to, how to act, how to worship Him. That's His revealed will. But there's another aspect of God's will, and that's called His sovereign will. And his sovereign will is what actually happens, what actually takes
man can and does act contrary to God's revealed will all the time. We do, and that's called sin. But man cannot act contrary to God's sovereign will. That is what occurs, and that's what takes place. Let's look at Matthew 10, 29-31. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Think of these things. The most insignificant thing, like a sparrow falling, is in the hands of God. He says he numbers all the hairs. All the hair on your head have a number. Now, in my case, it would be very low. But he has a number for each of the hairs of our head. In Proverbs 69, it says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Also in Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of God that will stand. Proverbs 21.30 says, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel, can avail it spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. Now, I don't recommend that you get your theology from Facebook. But occasionally they'll have something good to say. And I have a quote about the sovereignty of God from a post on Facebook. It says, everything that exists in the universe exists because God allowed it, decreed it and called it into existence. God has the power, wisdom, and authority to do anything He chooses within His creation. He is absolute in authority and unrestricted in His supremacy. God controls all things right down to the choosing of who will be saved. Psalms 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Now, we need to know that God's sovereignty and God's sovereign will does not exempt man from his personal responsibility. We are doing a study. Of the Bible's book club is going through Romans 8.28, and that's that book that I held up. And it says, and we know that, first of all, this verse, is, by the way, is the number one Googled verse in the Bible, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who see this, at least a portion of it, quoted on TV shows, on stenciled on all kinds of things, and they'll usually just quote part of it saying, all things work for good. They leave out for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. So it makes people feel good that when circumstances place, well, ultimately it's going to be good. Now, why would they have any trust that it's going to be good? It's... Uh, there's no reason for that unless you love God and are called according to His purpose. And that verse is written for us. It's written for believers. It's a promise from God and it is true that for the believer, all things that occur in our life are going to work out for our good. Well, there's a qualification there. What's our good? If you look at the rest of the verse, that's verse 28 in Romans 8. Verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, 
he also glorified. That is our good, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So no matter what happens in life, the good, the bad, it's going to ultimately result in all being conformed to the person of Christ. And that is the good of it all. Thomas Watson, in his book, is going to say, All things for good, he who loves God and is called according to his purpose may rest assured that everything in the world shall be for his good. We have to believe that. A sermon wouldn't be a good sermon without a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, If God told me to eat the dung off the streets, not only would I eat it, but I'd know that it was good for me. That German, I'll tell you. Again, our good is to be conformed to the person of Christ. And how we do that is we have the Holy Spirit who helps us do that. If you look at that passage in Romans 8, before that, Romans 8, 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them, that we also may be glorified with them. Well, that brings us to another step, that Life is going to contain some suffering. And that suffering is for a purpose. And that purpose is to make us like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we spared of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through, 12, 8 through 10 says, We are afflicted in every, but we are afflicted in every, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the test of genius of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He later says in that same book, 1 Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happened to you. But, re <coughs> excuse me, but rejoice is revealed. <coughs> James, not to be outdone, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Well, so far, hopefully made the case that God is sovereign and in control, in control of the good, in control of the bad. For the Christian, everything is under God's control. And that's to make us more like Jesus. But the second thing we need to know to trust God is not only that God is in control, but he loves us. 
And let's look at 1 John 4, 8 and 9, or 9 and 10 says, and this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Calvary is one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. God loved us, when we are totally unworthy, not doing nothing to do. In 1 John 4, 13, it says, in this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And I've quoted this before from the Living Bible. This is a, this is a, um, a paraphrase of that passage. It says, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it's for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we're not fully convinced that he really loves us. This does not mean that we're not going to face hardship. God loves us and we cannot separate yourself from that love. You look at the last few verses of Romans 8, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding distress or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword. In the last two verses, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No situation or person, not even ourselves. If we ever doubt the love of God, look to the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. He died a terrible death in our place as our substitute. That's love. So, can we trust God? He is sovereign. And he loves us to the point of sending his son to die for us. We can trust him in everything. Now this passage ends, or the next few verses of this passage say, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I always thought that, is this promoting a give-to-get scheme? The more I give, the more I get, so I should give more so I can get more for personal use, the more we can give to his work. And the more we get, the more we give to him. It is not for our show, not for our benefit, but for God's. Kind of getting to the summary here, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. By the way, the second most commonly Googled Bible verse says, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and we seek you, seek me with all your heart. Those plans that God, this is Jeremiah reporting what God's told him. This is declaring to the nation of Judah, but it has the same benefit, it has the same meaning for us today. God has tremendous plans for us, and those plans include trials to make us more like him, to be conformed to his image. We know that that's not necessarily pleasant, but no discipline is pleasant. As this verse, as this passage in Proverbs says, you know, a father disciplines his son for their benefit, and God is disciplining us. There are multiple applications, but that does not neglect our responsibility. Calls us, God calls us to adhere to his revealed will in Scripture. So we're to do that. Even though he is sovereign, we're called to obey him. And that's reflected in the first verses of this passage in Proverbs. My son, do not neglect my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the table of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. The second application is pray. We pray and God uses that prayer as a means to accomplish his end. God is sovereign and because God is sovereign our prayers will be beneficial, will be answered. If he was not sovereign they'd be Sovereign, they'd be worthless. The next application is don't despair when bad things happen to you because you know that God is conforming you to his image. You don't know at that time. You don't see the good of it. You don't see the benefit of it. It doesn't matter. God is conforming you to his image. And, and number four is know that can be trusted. Those promises will be answered. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. I'm going to end with a, another quote from, from Jerry Bridges' book. It says, Trusting God is first of all a matter of knowledge. We must know that God is sovereign, wise, and loving. I choose to trust. Then it is not a matter of the will, but I'm sorry. Then it is a matter of the will and not dependent upon my feelings. I choose to trust God, and the feelings eventually follow. Trusting God is a matter of faith, and faith is the fruit of the Spirit. We are responsible to trust Him in times of adversity, but we depend upon the Holy Spirit to enable us to do so. God is trustworthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would all understand and know that you are loving. You are trustworthy. You are in control of every aspect of our life, of every circumstance, good or bad, and that we who love you are going to be conformed to the image. We would be faithful to you. 
as individuals and as a church. God, we love you. God, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.